0: to begin today's message a little bit differently. I want to, I'm going to ask you a question in just a second, but first I want to tell you kind of where we're going over the next few months. Um, today we're kicking off a brand new series called First Things First. I'll explain that in just a second, hopefully. Um, but after this series, we're going to do something we've never done before. You know, when you come out of a Baptist tradition like I did or a a Bible church, Protestant tradition, kind of non-denominational thing like so many of us did, we're not as familiar or even sometimes as aware of the liturgical calendar, the the traditional and ritual calendar that so many churches have followed for centuries and millennia now. And so this year, leading into Christmas on November the 26th, we're going to start a series just called Advent. Advent. We're going to talk about Advent as a church family, both in here, in our children's ministry, throughout our church. We're going to talk about the coming of Christ. That's all Advent means. It is the arrival, the coming of Jesus, God in human form. We're going to start that at the end of November. But today, we are starting this brand new series called First Things First. And I want to ask you this question. Have you ever, ever chased something, pursued something and then when you achieved it or acquired it, you found that it wasn't quite all you thought it would be. Let me see you. Maybe, maybe a promotion, maybe a girlfriend or a boyfriend, maybe a, a certain amount of, of money. We, I think we've all been there. Well, I came across this in preparation for this sermon that I think captures this experience really, really well. The following ad ran in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution personal ad, and it says this, single black female seeks male companionship, ethnicity not important. I'm a very good looking girl, well, who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup truck, hunting, camping, and fishing trips, cozy winter nights lying by the fire. Candlelight dinners will have me eating out of your hand. When you get home from work, I'll be at the front door wearing only what nature gave me. <laughs> Call this number and ask for Daisy. Well, as you might imagine, the phone lines lit up at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution based on this particular ad. More than 1,500 men responded to this personal ad. But when they Made the phone call and asked for Daisy, they found that they had instead reached the Atlanta Humane Society and they were calling about a black Labrador named Daisy. Now, I I need you to understand something. I could not verify that this actually happened, but can I just suggest to you it doesn't really matter? That's the greatest story I've ever heard in my life. Is that great? Candlelight dinners will have me eat. I love that. Sometimes the things that we pursue the most eagerly, the most voraciously, when we finally get them, when we finally achieve or acquire them, they don't yield everything that we thought they were going to yield. Rick Rubin is an American music producer. He is really without parallel in the music industry. He has worked with everyone from Run DMC to Metallica, the Red Hot Chili Peppers to Johnny Cash. I mean, that's that's quite a resume. In 2007, Time Magazine listed him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. This is a guy who turns dials on a music board. But listen to what Rick Rubin had to say about his success. He said, it's hard to get really depressed until your dreams come true. Once your dreams come true and you realize you feel the same way you did before, then you get a feeling of hopelessness. Now, I would think if you looked at Rick Rubin's resume, if you were to examine his life, you you would find somebody who had experienced every single bit of the American dream, the the human dream. He had wealth. He had fame. He had influence. He was great at his job. He had a, a Rolodex and a contact sheet that could get to anybody on the planet at any time. And yet, he found that this thing he had been chasing and pursuing did not deliver the the peace. It didn't deliver the the satisfaction and, and the fulfillment that he thought it would when he began the chase. If you've been alive for more than about 30 minutes, you understand that dynamic. You may not have the resume of Rick Rubin. You may not have called a personal ad and gotten a number for a Labrador retriever, but you understand this dynamic that there is absolutely nothing, there is absolutely no one on this earth who can provide the peace that we were created longing. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. That, that means that God has placed within you and within me a desire that we cannot satisfy, a, a, a longing a craving that we have that only God can satisfy. And and it's only in this relationship with God, it's only in the context of covenant relationship with God that we can actually possess peace, that we can actually experience peace and express peace to the world around us. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that the path to peace is paved in priorities. The path to peace is paved in priorities. Priorities that persist and priorities that promote the purposes of God. That's it. Now, within that context, you can do a lot of different things. But if you use any of those different things to access peace, Every single time we will reap disappointment, frustration, dissatisfaction, and it will absolutely wreck every other part of life. It is only in the context of a relationship with Christ that peace is even possible. And it's the path to peace that is paved with priorities. In this series, First Things First, we're going to take a very, very small section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and go deep. We're going to go deep on this in a way that I think will allow us to come away with hopefully a new appreciation, a new valuing of the entirety of Scripture, but we're going to look at one particular passage, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached. It's found in Matthew chapter number 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says something so Profound, so radical about priorities and peace. He's he's speaking in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount uh, about our relationship as people with possessions, with things, the things that we worry about, the things that we fret about, the things that we obsess over. And look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 and following. The Son of God says this He says, So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Then he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow it will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Would somebody help Jesus preach that sermon? (laughs) Isn't that the truth? But look at how many times he said, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And for those of you who are new to the Christian faith or you're kicking the tires, this is not some kind of Pollyanna, pie-in-the-sky denial. It's not like, you know, Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Because remember what he said. He said, don't worry about these things that the pagans run after. God knows you need them. God understands you got to eat. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you got to eat. Here's something that's very, very important for us to understand. I think in the context of, of a Sunday morning worship service in church, we would all agree, at least theoretically, that placing too much emphasis or too much importance on material possessions is spiritually immature, right? We would all oh, pff, I don't do that. I know people who do, but that's not me, Mac. I, but isn't it also true that it is just as spiritually immature to ignore them and act like they don't matter? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It actually does matter. But the key is proper perspective, Jesus said, listen, you worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to drive, where you're going to live. God knows that you need all those things, and he's got you covered, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is what my lovely bride Julie calls the power of instead. The power of instead. Jesus doesn't just say, don't worry, just get over it and live with it. He says, no, 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 not only don't worry, but instead. Rather than, in favor of, do this so that you're not doing that. Seek first his kingdom and his priorities. Seek first, that's about priorities. Now kingdom is one of Jesus' most repeated, most emphasized themes throughout all of his teaching. If you were to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, You would see Jesus use the term kingdom over and over and over again, even before Jesus began his earthly ministry. John the Baptist was crying out in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. These are Jesus' first recorded words in the Gospel of Mark. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. But What is the kingdom of God? That's that's an interesting concept, isn't it? I, I, I wonder... How many of us would be able to answer that? If Jesus talked about it as much as he did, it kind of follows that we ought to be able to talk about it. Now, we understand kingdom in an earthly sense. You know, we, we, we watched the Brits and, you know, Queen Elizabeth II passed away. We, we had the opportunity a few years ago. We were actually in England on vacation, and the day that we were there was the day they were beginning a session of parliament. And so the queen went riding down the street in her carriage with King Philip. We saw, the like I was from here to this really handsome guy in the white shirt right there. That's how close I was to the Queen of England. I was like, Liz, what up? But you know what was interesting? We were there, it just, we, it just happened to be there that day. Just happened to be there. But we were standing at the barricades next to these two elderly British women, deep, deep, British. They, they had lived in England their entire lives. And they were literally like giddy schoolgirls at the Beatles because the Queen was going by. They didn't talk to her, they didn't shake her hand. They just were going to see her for the first time in their 75 years of existence. And when the queen went by, they had tears coming down their eyes, coming down their face. I was just like, Dang, you know she's a person, right? And they're like, I can't believe we've seen her. We've seen the queen. I was like, I don't know it's that big a deal. Royalty, sovereignty really matters to the subjects of the king. To the subjects of the queen. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about geography. He's not talking about a territory. The kingdom of God is this the kingdom is the authority and sovereignty of God. The kingdom of God is the authority and the sovereignty of God. Now, I want to just very quickly talk about the righteousness. We'll we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But righteousness just means the moral and spiritual rightness. Moral and spiritual rightness. That there is no moral flaw in God. His his holiness, his spiritual and moral purity, his goodness. That's what righteousness is. And Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all this other stuff, I promise you, will be taken care of. But seek first his kingdom. Look at how the Apostle Paul put this in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Now, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. I want you to understand the incredible greatness of God's power. I want you to understand the kingdom of God. The power of God is unlimited. That that word for power in Ephesians there, in the original Greek language, it's the word dunamis. Say dunamis. Dunamis. It's the same word that we get dynamite from. How many of y'all are old enough to remember Good Times, the TV show? Remember Jimmy Walker? Kid, dynamite, right? Four of us are old enough to remember that. That's great. Y'all just hung me out to dry. I just want you to know I noticed that. But that's the power of God, the dynamite, the power that raised Christ from the dead. I want you to understand this, Paul says. I want you to understand it. I want you to live in it. I want you to live it out, this power of the kingdom of God, the authority, the sovereignty of God. I love what Derek said when we were worshiping together just a few minutes ago. You know, this this is one of those things that is central to the Christian faith, but it, it can be a little bit tough. I mean, I'm just, let me just forget, I, let me just, I'll tell you what's hard for me. How about that? It can be difficult for me 24-7 to live submitted to the authority of God. It, it can be difficult sometimes to remember that the Holy Spirit is to control my mind and my tongue and my hands and my feet and everything that I do, and I'm going to live submitted to the kingdom of God. I'm going to live as a subject of God's kingdom. And I'll tell you why that's hard for me. See if this resonates with you at all. I like control. Does anybody else like control? If your hand is not up, you are a liar in church. Of course we like control. As we get older, we learn to hide it. But we all like to call the shots. Most of the time when I ask Julie, what do you want for dinner? I don't really mean it. I don't. I'm counting on her saying I don't really care. That's what I'm hoping for. Because then I get to choose. I know none of you are that shallow, but that's me. But then I remember something about my king. His righteousness is, is part of his righteousness is his goodness. He is absolutely good. He loves me so much that he laid down his life for me. Willingly. It wasn't like a coincidence that it happened. He chose to go to the cross for you. And for me, that's our king. All of a sudden, my submission to him, my submission to that kind of love, that kind of power restrained, doesn't seem like such a bad thing, does it? Two things to remember about the laws of the kingdom. As you process this, as you begin to walk in this and understand the incredible greatness of God's power, the laws of the kingdom. Number one, God rules. God rules. There is nowhere in this world, in any universe, beyond the reach and scope of the power of God. Now, sometimes God withholds his power. Sometimes we wish he would bring it to bear in a situation, and we don't understand why he doesn't, but... Rule number two, law number two tells us why. Because God is good. God rules, and God is good. So when we seek first, when when our first priority is the kingdom of God, that's when we begin to walk the path of peace. That's, that's when we start, that's when we start to kind of, okay. God rules, and God is good. Okay? So that means that everything else is a detail. Doesn't mean nothing else matters, but it means that everything else is a detail. We start to walk the path of peace. Philippians chapter 1. Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes this to a group of new believers, a new church in the town of Philippi. But God, in his wisdom and his grace and his sovereignty, chose to include this in Scripture, in the Bible, for you and for me to live by, to walk by. This is what Philippians 1.27 says. Above all, again, there's that priority thing. You see that? Above all, no matter what, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. You must live as citizens of heaven. here's Here's the path to peace. Here's how you pave this path to peace with your priorities. Number one, Paul says it. Change your citizenship, not your residence. Change your citizenship from earth to heaven, but not your residence. You see, when a person comes to faith in Christ, they are automatically redirected. Their their citizenship changes from this world to heaven. But, everybody say but. but. But our residence stays the same. We don't change our address. We just change our citizenship. Now all of a sudden, we are living under a new king, a new authority to walk in a different way than we did before, but we're called to do it right where we are. To to change our citizenship means that we change our motivations. We change our minds and our hearts. We change our behavior, our words. And, And that becomes something that people look in and they go, man, there's something different about that guy, in a good way. There's something different about her. As I've said before, don't be the weird Christian, okay? Don't, don't, and if you do, don't tell anybody you go to church here. But, but you ought to be different. You, your life needs to look, it needs to sound, it needs to feel different because of the difference Christ has made. Because now you're not a citizen of this place, you're a citizen of heaven. All of a sudden, you have a broader perspective than you ever had before. All of a sudden, you're thinking now, not just about the here and now, but eternity, there and then. And and it it opens up so much more when you change your citizenship, but you maintain your residence. Number two, assimilate into your new citizenship. Assimilate into your new citizenship. That, That means that you... You learn the language of heaven. You learn scripture. You come to make it a part of who you are. You, you learn what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, the church. You, you operate differently. Now it's not dog eat dog. It's all in. Now it's, it, it looks different. It feels different as you assimilate, as you begin to relate to people. And, and now, now let, let's, let's do this for a second. Think about Let's say that you're, let's say just hypothetically you're driving down BK's road out here, okay? Let's say you're driving down BK's road and the speed limit is 60 miles an hour. And there's somebody who's in the passing lane going 50 miles an hour. Again, just hypothetically, I'm just putting this out there. And you know the speed limit is 60 and you want to go past them, but they, they're not letting you pass Now, because your citizenship is different, but your residence remains the same, you don't call that person an idiot. You you don't go, what's your problem? And flash your bright lights at them and honk and get them to see the error of their ways and help them remember driver's ed. You don't do that anymore. Now it's different. Now when you ask your wife what she, what she wants for dinner, you actually mean it. When, when you ask your wife or you ask, you know, what movie do you want to go see? Man, now, <laughs> changes. Now, you actually got to listen to them. Now, you got to, you, you got to care. I mean, it's hard. But that's where the good stuff is. That's, where the good stuff is. You assimilate into your new citizenship. And then number three, what does he say? He goes, I don't know you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. Number three, you share the wealth of your new homeland. You share the wealth of your new homeland. You invite people you know who don't yet know to come to church with you, to, to be a part of this family of faith. All of a sudden, you don't look at church anymore as like, what's in it for me? What did I get out of the sermon? That hopefully and prayerfully still happens, but now you're sharing it with people. You're you're looking looking at everything through the eyes of people who don't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. Now, all of a sudden, you're part of a new kingdom. Now, when, when when you just think about your king, when you think about standing before him face to face, when you think about walking into the gates of heaven and having the Son of the living God look at you and go, Hey, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You were, you were united, standing together, fighting for the good news, the faith, which is this gospel in Jesus. You, you, you will remember those two elderly British women. When they saw their queen go by in a carriage. Now we're talking about our king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who loves us perfectly and unconditionally and died on a cross for us. I want you to understand the power of that king. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. here's, Here's just one little one little portion of what that means you're already under the authority of Christ you already are whether you recognize it or not you are that's why the bible says there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess That in fact, Jesus is Lord, Lord. He is King of all. If you are here or maybe watching online and you've never stepped into a relationship with this King, this perfectly benevolent King, we want to invite you to do it right now. If you already have a relationship with this king, if you have surrendered and submitted your life to him, then I want to invite you to just take the next step, whatever that looks like for you, whatever your next step might be in growing in this relationship and understanding the fullness of his power. But in this moment, I want to ask you to be praying for the people around you who maybe haven't taken that step yet. Maybe it's the person you invited today. I want to ask everybody if you will bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, if you want to begin a relationship with Christ, pray. Silently, just right where you are, from your heart to God's. Just say this, just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you, to you, my king. I confess my sins so that I can receive your grace and your forgiveness, so that I can be set free by your truth, and I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment, a sacred moment. It's sacred because God's moving in people's lives. And if that was your prayer today and you meant it for the first time in your life, then I want to ask you just a couple of things. Number one, as a church, we we want to help with what comes next from this moment of beginning. And the best way that we can do that is for you to just let us know that You made that decision. You you prayed that prayer today. When we dismiss in just a moment, there's an area out in the lobby to your right, kind of that big lobby where most of you came in. It's called the Hub. And if you'll just go by there, we have a gift for you who just committed your life to Christ today. If you'll just hand them that QR card that's in the seat back in front of you. They have a gift, a a Bible, a a reading plan to help you begin this relationship, this journey with Christ. Second thing I wanna ask you is our heads are bowed for just another moment. If that was your prayer today, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head. If you're online, let your online host know. But know that as a church, as a family of faith with you, we honor that and we celebrate that with you. And our family tradition around here is you put your hands down as we're going to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.